Welcome to Skipta Soundbites. The 64th Annual Scientific Meeting of the American Headache Society, running from June 9th to 12th, 2022. The 64th Annual Scientific Meeting of the American Headache Society, AHS, provided attendees with many opportunities to learn about the latest advancements in diagnosing and treating headaches. Held virtually and in person at the Gaylord Rockies Resort in Denver, the meeting spanned four days and included industry-sponsored events, award ceremonies, scientific sessions, poster presentations, and late-breaking abstracts. Here, we summarize some of the presentations that caught our attention at the conference on Saturday, and we will follow this up with a post-conference wrap-up. For select sessions, highlights at the AHS meeting, one of which was fertility treatment and migraine burden. What's the connection? Women who have a history of migraine report a significantly greater headache burden and more stress than women without a history of migraine when undergoing fertility treatments. This is the main finding of an interim analysis presented by Joseph Safdie, MD, the Gertrude File Associate Dean of Curricular Affairs and Vice Chair of Education and Professor of Neurology at Weill Cornell Medical College in New York City. Hormonal fluctuations during the menstrual cycle are known to affect migraine patterns and fertility treatment, including in vitro fertilization, and involves the manipulation of female hormones such as estradiol, increasing them up to several times the normal range. Still, little has been known about migraine patterns in women undergoing fertility treatment until now, though these results are not final as more patient data are needed to draw firm conclusions, Safdie said. Quote, although there was a trend towards increasing migraine days in patients with a history of migraine over the course of infertility treatments, we were likely not powered due to the small sample size to reach statistical significance, he said. The study included 60 women aged 18 years and older undergoing fertility treatment. Of these, 20 women had migraine symptoms and 40 served as migraine-free controls. Safdie and colleagues found that women in the migraine group were more likely to have received a previous diagnosis of migraine by a doctor and reported a significantly higher incidence of menstrual migraines. The proportion of women experiencing stress symptoms, according to the Depression, Anxiety, and Stress Scale-21 items, was significantly higher in the migraine group at baseline compared with controls the study also showed. When compared with women in the control group, women in the migraine group also had significantly higher headache-attributed loss time-30, HALT-30 scores, at baseline and during treatment, but not post-treatment. Estradiol levels did not differ significantly between study groups at baseline or during treatment. Although more research is needed to confirm these findings, women with a history of migraine should receive appropriate migraine care before undergoing fertility treatment the researchers concluded. Greater resilience means less headache-related disability. Resilience training may help some people with headaches better cope with headache pain and related disability. In a new study, people with higher resilience scores were less likely to report significant disability on the Migraine Disability Assessment MIDAS questionnaire. Specifically, if the resilience score increased by one point, the odds of being severely disabled on MIDAS decreased by 4%, the study showed. What's more, patients reporting higher levels of anxiety and depression had increased levels of headache-related disability, said Deborah Friedman, MD, MPH. 
She is a professor at the Department of Neurology and the Department of Ophthalmology at UT Southwestern, UTSW, Medical Center in Dallas. Friedman is the founding director of the UTSW Headache and Facial Pain Program and director of the UTSW Disorders of Intracranial Pressure Program. The researchers prospectively recruited 160 patients with primary headache disorders who were seen in an academic program between February 2018 and August 2019. Study participants completed five validated measures, MIDAS, Connor Davidson Resilient Scale-25, CD Risk-25, Patient Health Questionnaire 9, PHQ-9, General Anxiety Disorder 7, GAD-7, World Health Organization Well-Being Index. The higher participants scored on the CD Risk-25 Resilience Test, a test that measures how well one bounces back after stress or trauma. The lower they scored on the total MIDAS score, total GAD7 score, and total PHQ9 score, which indicate levels of anxiety, depression, and disability, the study showed. Higher levels of anxiety and depression were associated with increased levels of headache-related disability. Headache days, but not pain severity, and low resilience scores were associated with severe disability, the study showed. Quote, The association with anxiety and depression and higher levels of disability has been reported before, so this study confirms previous work in that regard, Friedman said. The findings suggest that resilience training may be beneficial in reducing headache-related disability. Quote, resilience training includes cognitive behavioral therapy, stress management, and mindfulness training, Friedman said. Quote, the goal is to increase self-efficacy and pain acceptance, that is, focusing on what brings joy rather than dwelling excessively on the pain, unquote. Holistic Treatment of the Pediatric Migraine Patient Children with chronic headaches often report sleep difficulty, and this can complicate treatment and adherence to the headache management plan, explained Deirdre Kaplan, Ph.D., an adjunct associate professor of psychology and psychiatry and an associate professor clinical of pediatrics at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. To better understand how headaches are affecting sleep, Kaplan recommended clinicians ask pediatric headache patients or their parents the following questions. When are you going to bed? How long does it take you to fall asleep? Can you wake up on your own? What time do you wake up? Do you take naps? Do you have a bedtime routine? And do you use electronics in the bedroom? Quote, it's important to recognize that targeting and cleaning up sleep routines can have a huge impact on headache management, Kaplan said. For the study, 103 adolescent headache patients and their parents completed questionnaires assessing headache disability, pediatric migraine disability assessment tool, functional disability, functional disability inventory, and scales of parent and a self-assessment of difficulties with falling asleep, staying asleep, and waking from sleep. Kaplan and colleagues found that perceived difficulty falling or staying asleep was linked with both parent and child-reported headache disability. Further sleep difficulty was associated with greater child-reported general functional disability. In related findings presented at the meeting, children and adolescents with migraine were more likely to report anxiety and depressive symptoms, and these children had nearly twice the odds of receiving a diagnosis of anxiety or depressive disorder as kids without a history of migraine headaches. 
This literature review of 79 studies was presented by Serena Orr, MD. She is a pediatric neurologist and the director of the Pediatric Headache Program at the Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary, Canada. She is also an assistant professor in the Departments of Pediatrics, Clinical Neurosciences, and Community Health Sciences in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Calgary. The bottom line, quote, children and adolescents with migraine are at a significantly higher risk of experiencing both anxiety and depressive symptoms, as well as clinical anxiety and depressive disorders, and should be routinely screened for anxiety and depression in clinical practice, the research team concluded. Post-traumatic headache insights and awareness. People who report headaches before sustaining a traumatic brain injury, TBI, are less likely to receive a diagnosis of post-traumatic headache despite new or worsening symptoms, according to an exploratory analysis of patients with TBI who were enrolled in the American Registry for Migraine Research. Among 565 participants with TBI, 350 had headaches before sustaining their TBI. Those with pre-TBI headaches were less likely to have received a diagnosis of post-traumatic headache, even though 25.7% reported new or worsening headaches within seven days of the injury. Those with pre-TBI headaches were also more likely to report symptoms of cutaneous allodynia, more cognitive dysfunction, and greater symptoms of anxiety, according to GAD7 scores reported Zachary Leibovit-Rybin, a student researcher at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix. Spotlight Trends in Headache Care in U.S. Emergency Departments Fewer headache patients in the United States are getting opioids when they present to the emergency department, reflecting the uptake of evidence-based guidelines for headache management in emergency departments. Specifically, opioid use declined by half and antiemetic use remained the most frequently used medication from 2007 to 2018 among U.S. headache-related ED visits, said Song Kyung Yang, a graduate assistant at the University of Florida in Gainesville. In addition to restricting opioid use, the 2016 American Headache Society Acute Migraine Treatment Guidelines for the ED setting call for parenteral antiemetic and sumatriptan as the first-line treatments and parenteral dexamethasone to prevent a recurrence. Of 33 million headache-related ED visits from 2007 to 2018, 63.9% were not otherwise specified headaches and 32.9% were migraines. Most headache-related ED visits resulted in two or more medications given during the visit, and 54.1% of visits had no medication prescribed at discharge. Among headache-related ED visits, opioid use declined from 54.1% in 2007 to 2010 to 28.3% in 2015 to 2018. Conversely, the use of acetaminophen non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, diphenhydramine, and corticosteroids increased. Changes in the use of antiemetics, neuroimaging, butalbital-containing medications, ergot alkaloids, triptans, and antiemetics were not significant in the study period. Outpatient referrals for follow-up increased slightly from 73.3% in 2007 to 2010 to 79.7% in 2015 to 2018, while neuroimaging orders remained stable, the study revealed. Stay the course, late response to anti-CGRP monoclonal antibodies. 
more than one-third of migraine patients who are not adequately responding to calcitonin gene-related peptide, CGRP, monoclonal antibodies at week 12 may respond later, according to Piero Barbanti, MD, PhD, an associate professor of neurology at San Rafael University in Rome. In a multicenter, longitudinal cohort real-life study, researchers evaluated the greater than 50% response rate in all consecutive patients affected with high-frequency episodic migraine or chronic migraine treated with arenumab, galcinezumab, or fremenezumab for more than 48 weeks from December 2018 to December 2021. Patients were assessed at baseline and every four weeks by a neurologist using a semi-structured questionnaire addressing sociodemographic factors, clinical migraine features, comorbidities, and concomitant medications. The study's primary endpoint was the proportion of late responders greater than 50% response after 12 weeks, and the secondary endpoint was the estimation of median week of response in these patients. Of 912 migraine patients treated with monoclonal antibodies for more than 48 weeks, 352 patients were non-responders at week 12. Among non-responders, 128 patients, 36.4%, were late responders, showing an average of greater than 50% response after a median of 20 weeks. These findings suggest extending the efficacy treatment evaluation for anti-CGRP monoclonal antibodies to six months, the researchers concluded. Thank you for listening to Skip to Soundbites. For more highlights, click the next audio file or share your thoughts by commenting below.